This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, hello again. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. Before we dive into today's topic, of course, I have to take a minute to reach out to listeners who reach out to me to say thank you. So this one goes out to Paulette, and Paulette says this. I am able to listen to the podcasts and quizzes on the go while doing other activities and chores, and it has allowed me to do hobbies and things I enjoy while still learning and being proactive. NurseMo has a way of explaining things that just makes sense. Thank you so much, Paulette. This is 100% why I created this podcast so that Nurses and nursing students could learn and review material without having to just sit at their desk all the time or sit and watch videos. You can get up, move around, go on with your life. So I'm so, so glad that you find the podcast helpful. All righty. So today we are talking about cardiomyopathy. So cardiomyopathy is a term that describes a disease affecting the heart muscle and is most commonly related to damage of the myocardium. Now, there are four categories of cardiomyopathy. That's dilated cardiomyopathy, restrictive cardiomyopathy, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. And you may sometimes see this referred to as ARVD, which is an abbreviation that stands for arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. So you may see the term dysplasia versus cardiomyopathy used. It's referring to the same thing. You could also see it as ARVD slash C, which means arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia slash cardiomyopathy. Okay, let's dive into the differences in the overview of these different types of cardiomyopathy. So we'll start with dilated cardiomyopathy. Now, this condition involves an enlargement of one of the ventricles, and it's usually the left ventricle. And this leads to decreased stroke volume and systolic dysfunction. Now, with decreased stroke volume, blood's going to sit in the heart chambers. And what does this do? That blood sits there. It it sloshes around. It increases the patient's risk for developing blood clots. The patient also has, like I mentioned a moment ago, decreased stroke volume, which is going to cause decreased cardiac output and associated symptoms. Now, dilated cardiomyopathy can be a consequence of a lot of different conditions, including long-term hypertension, arrhythmias, diabetes, obesity, heart valve dysfunction, alcohol use disorder, exposure to some chemotherapy medications, and illicit drug use such as amphetamines or cocaine. Interestingly, dilated cardiomyopathy is the most 
common type of cardiomyopathy and the leading reason for heart transplantation. When you think of dilated cardiomyopathy, think weak walls. Okay, next is restrictive cardiomyopathy. In this condition, the ventricles are stiff so they don't contract easily or fill with blood adequately. Restrictive cardiomyopathy is the least common type and typically occurs with constrictive disorders such as cardiac amyloidosis, cardiac sarcoidosis, pericarditis, or pericardial effusion. Now, because a patient with restrictive cardiomyopathy will have higher diastolic pressure, this leads to increased atrial pressure and the patient can have enlarged atria. When you think of restrictive cardiomyopathy, think stiff walls. Next up is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, this is a genetic condition that causes an enlarged left ventricular muscle. Typically, that's going to be the interventricular septum. Now, the thickened wall makes it difficult for the heart muscle to relax, and the ventricles do not fill adequately. Patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy will also often have an enlarged left atrium due to increased pressures in that left ventricle. Now note there are two subtypes of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, non-obstructive and obstructive. When there is no significant outflow obstruction, meaning blood is flowing out of the heart just fine or only mildly affected, this is considered non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. When there is an obstruction to blood flow from the heart, this is considered obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, the obstructive form specifically has a reputation as the most common cause of sudden death in young active individuals who are otherwise healthy. When you think of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, think thick walls. And then the fourth type is arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy or dysplasia. This is a genetic condition in which the muscle tissue of the right ventricle is replaced by fatty and fibrous tissue. And in some cases, the left ventricle is also affected. So as you can imagine, fatty and fibrous tissue probably is not going to be doing that cardiac electrophysiology that must be done in order to get the heart to contract. So this abnormal tissue actually disrupts those electrical signals in the heart and can cause significant, significant dysrhythmias. So if you haven't figured this out yet, there are some complications of cardiomyopathy and some general complications include heart failure, atrial fibrillation, blood clots, dangerous dysrhythmias, and even sudden cardiac death and cardiac arrest. So to do a quick recap, we have dilated cardiomyopathy, which is the most common type and looks to be associated more with things that could be affected by lifestyle factors. When you think of dilated cardiomyopathy, think of weak walls. And then restrictive cardiomyopathy, that's going to be the least common type, and that has stiff ventricular walls. 
Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a genetic condition where that interventricular septum becomes thick and makes it difficult for that heart muscle to relax and the ventricles to fill adequately. When it's non-obstructive, there's not much or no obstruction to outward blood flow, but obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy does involve obstructions to blood flow. When you think of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, think thick walls. And then arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy is another genetic condition in which that muscle tissue of that ventricle is replaced by fatty and fibrous tissue that disrupts electrical signals. So now that you have a little background information about cardiomyopathy, let's dive a little deeper into it and we'll do that using the straight A nursing latte method. So the first letter in the latte method is an L, and that is for look. How does the patient look? So the signs and symptoms of cardiomyopathy can vary a bit based on the type of cardiomyopathy that the patient has. In some cases, the individual may have no symptoms, especially if their cardiomyopathy is mild or new, but they will progressively have worsening symptoms as the disease progresses, especially if it goes untreated. So with dilated cardiomyopathy, some key signs and symptoms include dyspnea, orthopnea, which is that inability to lay flat. The patient will have to sleep propped up on pillows. That's kind of a sideways way to tell if they have orthopnea is to ask, do you sleep propped up on pillows or have to sleep sitting up in a recliner? They also may have lower limb edema. They could even have some abdominal edema. They could have activity intolerance, fatigue, and palpitations. And then we have restrictive cardiomyopathy. Now, in early stages, the patient may have no symptoms. When symptoms do develop, they are similar to that of dilated cardiomyopathy, which was that dyspnea, orthopnea, the lower limb edema, and fatigue. Now, the patient could also have arrhythmias with restrictive cardiomyopathy. They may have syncope, they may have a cough, and they may have abdominal pain secondary to hepatic congestion. And then hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Again, many individuals who have this condition may only have it mildly and not have any symptoms and may never be diagnosed. I saw one study that suggested one in 500 people have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which was a huge eye-opener to me. But like I said, many people never have any symptoms and never even know that they have it. Now, when symptoms do develop, and this is typically in adolescence or adulthood, the symptoms tend to include dyspnea on exertion, angina, which can be at rest or with exertion, fatigue, lightheadedness, and or syncope. Now, patients with obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy are more likely to develop symptoms because we have an outflow obstruction. Blood's not flowing out very well. So they're going to be more likely to develop symptoms that are more severe. And they may also have mitral valve regurgitation and dysrhythmias. And again, when a patient has obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, that Outflow obstruction can be so significant, it can basically be a complete obstruction that the patient has a sudden cardiac death. 
And then our fourth type is arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. And as with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, ARVC can cause sudden death in otherwise healthy individuals and in athletes with the condition. Symptoms usually don't appear until the individual gets to teenage years and are often secondary to them actually having ventricular tachycardia as a result of this cardiomyopathy. And those symptoms would be things like palpitations, syncope, dizziness or lightheadedness, chest pain, and even cardiac arrest. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. So the next letter in the latte method is an A, and that is for assess. What are we going to do to assess this patient? So key nursing assessments include, first off, monitoring vital signs. Both heart rate and blood pressure may be abnormal. In a lot of cases, when the blood pressure is low, or even with a normal blood pressure, you may notice that the pulse pressure is narrow. You also want to listen to heart sounds. You may hear heart sounds associated with valve disorders, such as a murmur, as well as S3 or S4. S3 is often an earlier sign of heart failure and is associated with rapid ventricular filling and blood sloshing around in the ventricles. When you think of S3, think of sloshing in, sloshing in, sloshing in. That's kind of the beat, the cadence that it takes, sloshing in, sloshing in, sloshing in. And then the fourth heart sound, S4, is heard with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And when you think of S4, think a stiff wall, a stiff wall, a stiff wall, a stiff wall, a stiff wall. That's kind of the cadence it takes. A stiff wall, a stiff wall, a stiff wall. And when you hear it, you'll really recognize it. And then it'll be easier to recognize with future monitoring. The first time I heard S3, it took me a minute, but I remembered my professor telling me sloshing in, sloshing in, and I'm telling you, it sounded just like that. You also want to auscultate lung sounds to listen for pulmonary edema, which may be present when the heart is not pumping adequately or if the patient has progressed on to heart failure. You also want to assess the patient for any signs of fluid overload, which can include peripheral edema, ascites, and even jugular vein distension. Now, if the patient is taking a diuretic, monitor for signs and symptoms of electrolyte imbalances and fluid volume deficit. You want to weigh the patient daily and report sudden weight gain to the physician. This would be an indicator that heart failure is present or worsening. 
And you also will perform a fall risk assessment, especially in patients with low cardiac output, those taking medications that cause orthostatic hypotension, and in patients with weakness or fatigue. Next in the LATTE method is a T, and that stands for tests. So it's helpful to know what tests will be conducted to evaluate a patient with cardiomyopathy. So a basic test would be a 12-lead EKG to assess for arrhythmias and conduction abnormalities, such as a bundle branch block. And then echocardiography uses ultrasound to assess the heart's structure, its ability to pump effectively, and heart valve function. When you hear someone refer to the patient's ejection fraction, this number is often obtained from an echocardiogram, often just referred to as an echo. A normal ejection fraction is 50 to 70%. A cardiac stress test looks at how the heart responds to stress, and this can be exercise-induced stress, having the individual run on a treadmill Or if the individual is unable to do that, we can give medication that puts the heart under stress. A chest x-ray may show pulmonary congestion when that's present. And again, that's going to be common in patients with heart failure related to cardiomyopathy. It's also useful for evaluating the heart's overall shape and size. And then radionuclide and cardiac catheterization studies may be utilized to more closely evaluate the heart and its function. In addition, a cardiac muscle biopsy may be performed, and this could be obtained during a cardiac catheterization procedure, and this would be done to assess for damage to the heart muscle itself. And then some patients may wear a Holter monitor, and what this does is it provides long-term monitoring of the patient's heart, which can be helpful if the patient has periodic arrhythmias where they go into and out of arrhythmias. If you go to your doctor's office or to the ER because you're having palpitations, but by the time you get there, they've stopped and they run an EKG and it looks normal, that's not super helpful. So some patients will go home with a Holter monitor and wear it for 24 to 48 hours. And this provides more long-term monitoring to catch those periodic arrhythmias. And then genetic testing or screening may be utilized in patients with a family history of cardiomyopathy, especially hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and ARVC. So the next letter in the LATTE method is a T, and that is for treatments, looking at all the different treatments that are utilized for a patient with cardiomyopathy. And in general, the treatments for cardiomyopathy are aimed at relieving the symptoms improving cardiac function when possible, decreasing potential complications such as blood clots and fluid overload, reducing hospitalizations, and slowing or preventing disease development or progression. Now, treatment options are wide-ranging and include things like diuretics, which remove excess fluid from the body, and that fluid builds up when the heart is not pumping effectively. Fluid volume overload puts additional stress on the heart, and we don't want that, and it can cause pulmonary edema and respiratory distress. We definitely don't want either of those either. A commonly used diuretic is furosemide. Antihypertensives are used to lower blood pressure and lower the workload or reduce the workload of the heart. There's less resistance for the heart to pump against when blood pressure is lower. These often include beta blockers, 
angiotensin receptor blockers, and ACE inhibitors. Antiarrhythmics such as amiodarone may be needed to suppress ventricular arrhythmias and in some cases can be used to suppress atrial fibrillation. Digoxin is a medication that causes the heart to beat more slowly, but also more forcefully or more strongly. Be watchful for signs of digoxin toxicity, which always seem to show up on exams. These include bradycardia, seeing yellow, and feeling nauseous. So again, that's digoxin. It's going to increase cardiac contractility. It will slow the heart rate a bit, but the overall effect is improved cardiac output. Anticoagulants are used to prevent blood clots and the associated complications of that, such as stroke. And then some patients will get an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, or ICD. And what this does is it delivers an electrical shock when dangerous abnormal rhythms, such as ventricular fibrillation, are detected. And then a biventricular pacemaker may be utilized in individuals who have cardiomyopathy. And what this biventricular pacemaker does is it stimulates both ventricles to beat at a set rate, and that is determined by the physician. And what this does overall is lead to improved cardiac output. Another procedure that may be considered in the case of ARVC is cardiac ablation. This procedure destroys tissue in areas of the heart where arrhythmias initiate. And then in severe cases, the patient may need a left ventricular assist device, or an LVAD. This is a device that assists the left ventricle to reduce workload on the heart and improve circulation. An LVAD can be used long-term, but it is also often used as an individual is waiting for a heart transplant. And then, of course, the most significant treatment of all is a heart transplant, and that may be needed if other therapies are ineffective. Going back briefly to talk about LVADs, I do want to mention that episode 216, so episode 216, is where I break down LVADs so that you don't have to be completely terrified when you have a patient show up who has an LVAD. And then the final letter in the latte method is E for education. What are some key things to educate your patient and family about? So much of your patient education will revolve around encouraging lifestyle changes that can help manage symptoms. And in the case of dilated cardiomyopathy, lifestyle changes can slow or prevent progression of the disease. These include things like losing weight, increasing activity as tolerated, smoking cessation, stopping any illicit drug use, avoiding alcohol, and following a heart-healthy diet. Additionally, patients with ARVC may be advised by their physician to avoid strenuous activity due to the risk for sudden cardiac death. Now, a patient with an ICD device should receive education on how the device works and that they may or may not be aware when the device fires. Some individuals feel nothing or very little, while others may feel like they've been kicked in the chest. If the patient receives a shock from their ICD, they should stop whatever activity they're involved in and rest. And then some physicians may want the patient to call them when their ICD fires. Some other key teaching for an ICD includes 
The patient may need to avoid being around items with strong magnetic fields. And whether the patient can get an MRI depends on their type of ICD. So this is definitely something they should understand about their particular device. They should ensure that all household appliances are properly grounded before using them and that their ICD will set off metal detectors such as at the airport. They should avoid carrying a cell phone in a pocket near the ICD. Don't put it in a breast pocket over an ICD. And to even use the ear opposite the ICD in order to hold the cell phone up and have a conversation or better yet, use a speakerphone, right? And then another key teaching is to tell all healthcare practitioners, including dentists, about their ICD. And lastly, of course, you want to ensure that your patient's with cardiomyopathy, understand how to take all their medications. There may be quite a few. The need for daily weighing and when to report weight gain, because this can be a sign of worsening or new heart failure, and which symptoms and when to report to their MD, as well as the absolute vital importance of attending all appointments with their cardiologist and their primary care physician as well. So there you have it, your short guide to cardiomyopathy. So I hope this clears up a topic that maybe until now seemed a little bit complex. I hope to see you back here next week where we're going to dive into diabetes. So I'll see you back here next week for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. <laughs>